Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Delaney. And as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I have a very special guest who I'm so excited to have on. Um, it's been a few weeks in, a making, in the making. I think we scheduled it a few weeks ago. So I'm super excited to have her on and to really learn more about her perspective on really important topics that I don't think are really being talked enough. So welcome, Jess. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Ever since I found you online, I've been like obsessed with your content. You do like so many different topics and beautiful fashion on Instagram and things like that. And so I'm going to link all of her info in the description box. So please go and give her a follow Instagram, TikTok, everything. And um, so I just, I just want to first let you introduce yourself and how you found yourself in this space. Yeah, so I am a freelance uh, writer primarily. Um, I found myself in um, on the social media sphere because I'm a failed blogger. Like I wanted to be a fashion blogger and then I was like, this actually sucks. So I don't want to do that anymore. But through blogging, I, I got into freelance writing, um, which is what I wanted to do as a kid. I wanted to be a writer. And you know, when you, you kind of grow up, you start to be like, I'm going to get a real job, you know? Um, and then I got a real job and I had a real job. I had a whole career. Um, and then I was like, I don't want to do that anymore either. So, um, it just ha- so happened that I was at the right place at the right time and started writing. And now I've written for like Teen Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, InStyle, um, Health Magazine. It's just been such a wonderful ride and I-, I love it. I absolutely love it. And a lot of my writing centers on marginalized people. I am a fat black woman. So a lot of my writing focuses on fat people, black people, people of color. Uh, disabled people, and really having conversations about how marginalized people are often ignored in both fashion, health, and culture. So um, I started making TikToks and stuff because, I don't know, I I love TikTok. Like, I know, like, I'm a millennial. I'm, like, old, but I just think it's hilarious. I This stupidest stuff blows up. Yeah. Like, Like, a video of, like, a guy picking up a frog and it has like 2 million views and that's yeah. why I love it. So yeah, so then I got into TikTok and stuff and I just really get on there and rant actually. And I think like, because I use like a lot of like big words, it comes across like maybe less of a rant and more of a like, more of like a dissertation. But yeah. it's just me like ranting about like how people hate fat people. Like that's what it is. Like my whole, that's my whole shtick. Like People hate fat people, including other fat people. Yeah. And we need to talk and we need to talk about it more. For yeah. sure, a hundred percent. And I love how I mean you're obviously like you're a writer. So the way that you explain things always sounds so like artful. Whereas like sometimes like, I don't know. I just, I love that. And I love your rants because you address like comments that people post on your page or like questions and you're just so real about it and like you do it in like a kind of funny way but it's also like not funny you know what I mean like depending on what the topic is so please guys get definitely give her a check out so now that we have like a little bit of an introduction um prior to like us recording we talked about some topics that I think are really important so I think first and foremost would be the whiteness of health the 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 diet space the intuitive eating space it is so white Mm -hmm. it's really unfortunate because you know when people talk about you know people of color they talk about them as like a minority 
but like when you look at the numbers and how things are changing like we're all kind of this right. you know it's like the numbers are not like, minorities we still deserve to be equally exactly, represented in, exactly. in, across industries yeah yeah so when someone says minority I think of like 10 percent of the population which is right. clearly not the case and like we were right. talking about like I I grew up in New York I grew up in Queens I grew up in schools that were always very multicultural multi different religions like we celebrated Lunar New Year and um Eid and you know Diwali and everything so like I feel fortunate in that like I thought but I feel fortunate but also like I thought that that was normal like I thought that that's how everyone grew up but as I got older I realized like no that's really not the case so please if you can just kind of get into a little bit of that yeah and, um yeah so yeah so um first things first diet culture is inherently white culture um, the way that we think about diets are, uh, it's a function of white supremacy. And when I say that, I think people like get offended if you're white, um, because people, um, white people associate white supremacy with themselves, which I don't know why you would want to do that. Cause it's not good. No, <laughs> it's no, this idea no. that like, you're talking about me, Brenda, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the overall system of white supremacy and how it works and has been working since the beginning of time, the beginning of white time, whenever that was, to ensure that white people by and large remain the most privileged classification of people. Um, so the way we think about diets, um, it's white culture. And that's because a lot of times it's centered around trying to be as thin and petite and close to whiteness as possible. Whereas even like even looking at BMI, Mm -hmm. uh, BMI was created by a white, a Belgian mathematician. It's based on a tiny sample size of white Belgian men. And then everything around that is a derivative of that original sample size, which is ridiculous because that is such a small sample size of the human population. How could you take a derivative of that to create a system by which we all now have to live? Um, and so you see things like that, like the, the way we would talk about diet food and it's like salad. And like the most, most cultures are not just going around eating salad. Like most people, most cultures eat rice. Most cultures eat, like even the way we demonize carbohydrates, it's very much, it's giving very much white supremacy. Like everybody eats rice. And if carbs were the problem, why is it that everyone in mainland China and Western and Eastern Africa eat rice every day and they're totally fine? Correct. So the way that we um, approach health is for through a white lens and part of that is because most doctors are white mm -hmm. um most people who run these health organizations are white most people who run who create these things like the food pyramid they're all a bunch of old white men yep so uh, we don't really get to have the cultural intersectionality of understanding that you don't have to you don't have to do anything to be healthy first of all let's let me put that out there my health is nobody's business what i do with my body how I choose to live my body is not your business. Um, I know everyone thinks like, well, BC is costing us all this money. No, buying arms and missiles is costing us a bunch of money. So you know, miss me with that. If you're that worried about money, you're going after the wrong people. Um, but this idea that like, you have to live a certain way in order to be healthy. And that way is very, very often just like steeped in white culture. So um, I do always say like, I don't take a lot of health advice especially from more like health influencers and stuff mm -hmm. like that, which, oh my God, the dietitian on TikTok, 
I've blocked so oh, many no. of them because they make those <laughs> videos like you shouldn't eat this. And they go to the grocery store and pick things that they know low income people eat. So you're telling me like the food I have access yeah. to is an issue. Instead of telling people, hey, when you operate within this particular situation or reality, here are things you can do to make it a little bit better. Or here's why you shouldn't feel bad about that. And it's so often these like white dietitian nutritionists. And I just blank it. I just, I blow it off. Because if you don't understand how to make your content or to make your practice suitable for more than one kind of person, you yeah. need to go do something else. Yeah. So anyway, that's a way of saying a white supremacy and diet culture go hand in hand. They, they always have. And until we start to think about health from a broader perspective, then we're, we're doing a disservice, not just to, not even just to us, like white supremacy harms white people too, which, you know, is always funny to me. Um, but it's, you know, we're not doing ourselves any favors. So, you know, a hundred percent. So a couple of things first, yes, the BMI thing is so stupid. And as someone like myself who has done like a lot of research for you know school degrees whatever and like literally my job is to read research and see what's going on and things like that no one ever in this day and age would ever use how the BMI scale was derived as like the gold standard of data because not only what like you said it was a small percentage of white Belgian men it was self-reported data (laughs) so like they could have lied about their, you know, men lie about their height all the time. So they could have totally been lying about their height and weight. So, you know, it just makes no sense how it could be generalized to anyone else except for white European men, which is crazy. So now we're basing right. the whole entire health system, which like when I used to work in the clinical setting, you know, the the computers thing would automatically calculate BMI. And then if it was like overweight, obese, it would be like red nutrition consult. Someone would be in for like a car crash and it would say, oh, give them a nutrition consult. Like they just came in here and like broke their leg. Like now is not the time to be talking about anything else, but trying to get them home and healthy. Because weight, because weight is the easiest indicator is the laziest indicator of health. A hundred percent. Because doctors by and large are lazy when it comes to treating fat people and treating people of color and treating women. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, what happens when we say BMI is the gold standard for health, that's because it's easy to quantify. You don't have to do any extra work. Um, You don't have to actually take the time to do do any deep diving into anything past that patient's weight, height and weight. And it's easy that way. Um, And we we find like, I find always for women like who have, or people with ovaries who have endometriosis or PCOS, this hurts them in the long run because mm-hmm. instead of doctors, doctors would say, oh, lose weight. Well, one of the constraints, uh, contra- contradictions of PCOS and endometriosis is weight gain. Mm-hmm. It's all related to your hormones. So instead of doing the right thing and ordering a hormone panel or trying to help them do something to help with their hormones, it's like, just lose weight. They're literally telling you, I can't lose weight. I'm having problems with this. My insulin is through the roof. I'm having issues. Yeah. So it's the easiest, laziest way yep. to just dismiss the concerns of people that you don't want to look at anymore. You want to get them in and out. 100%. And I'm not, you know, blaming doctors because they have to learn it from somebody. I am saying that um, it's a disservice to it's just majority of the field. Right, right. It's, just, it's, it's a lot of people. And then doctors say doctors for a long time, too. That's the other thing, right? Yeah. Doctors are like 85. And I'm like, bro, 
<laughs> do something else. Yeah. You still smoke in the office. Like, give it a rest. Yeah. So it's like very antiquated, outdated, yep. like attitudes about fat bodies and about um, black bodies and about brown bodies. And what happens though is that that leads to people's death. Yep. <laughs> if you don't treat people properly, they die. Yeah. Um, and that's really the biggest issue. Like, I can laugh about it, but the truth is, like, there's a lot, there's so many stories of people who, yeah. fat people who said, you know, I've tried to get help. I've tried to tell you guys yeah. there's something wrong with me, and all you care about is my weight. Um, so your laziness is ultimately leading to someone dying, and, and that's an issue. Yeah. And I think it's important for people who may, who aren't Black, who may not be able to relate to any of this. And when you talk about, the term white supremacy, people think that it just necessarily means like Nazi people with like pitchforks and fire on their sticks. But, but we're talking about so much more than that. When you look at like the media throughout history and time and through what, like who was on the cover of magazines and everything, it was always white, thin women. And now all of a sudden, with the Kardashian movement of whatever they are, um, you know, they, they say that they changed the face of beauty, but that's actually not true. Like, like curvier bodies were demonized throughout society. And, you know, now all of a sudden, yes, it's nice to have a big butt and a small waist, but like you see people getting all of this surgery to now mimic a different type of culture. And now like, listen, anyone could do whatever they want to their body. Like, I don't care what they do, but like, just be real about it. And also understand that like, it's not necessarily normal or it may not be like within your genetics, if that makes sense. And the other thing about the Kardashians is, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, remember, but Kim Kardashian made a big deal about being a size two. This is like maybe 2019. Um, and so they themselves, look at Khloe Kardashian. They don't live outside of the confines of diet culture. Mm-hmm. They don't. There's nothing They nothing about themselves. Like I'm large and in charge. They don't yeah. advocate for that. Um, they advocate for something I like to call like acceptable fat. Like yeah. it is when you are hourglass or pear shaped, you have a flat stomach. The only fat in your body is in your breast or your buttocks or your thighs sometimes. And that kind of like acceptable thickness as, as a black woman, that's very normal. That's been longstanding in our black and Latino cultures yes. where you could be, we've always been more accepting of people who are fat in the right places. Mm. That's fairly normal. So that's not revolutionary. And also just, I always like to have people keep in mind that Kardashians are white women. That yeah. is palliative. It's palliative thickness. Yeah. They're not They are, you know, I know they like to distance themselves from that, but their mother is a white woman. And, yeah. um, um, Carly Jenner is a completely white woman. Yeah. So it's palatable. It's easy to digest them because they are closer to white, which I call white adjacent. Um, they would not Serena Williams, look at Serena Williams. She is thinking all the right places. She is nowhere near received the way they are. Mm-mm. So they didn't revolutionize or change anything. Correct. What they did was make it easy for people to say, no, 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 no. I, I like the women. Look, I like the Kardashians. I like curvy women. I love the Kardashians. Like it's easy. You know, it's, it's like, a, it's like, <laughs> it's like saying, I have a black friend. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like, I'm, I'm a Jewish, I have a Jewish friend. I'm hip. Yeah. You know what I mean? I always think like, they're it's just palatable. True. 
And they just, they're easy for you to point out and say, look, that's a, that's a, you know, that's an example. And they sell diet culture. They profit off of pretending that they aren't white in a way. Like when you look at all of Skims and Good American and everything, you know, I know Good American, which is like Chloe's like co-brands. I think the co-owner is a black woman, mm-hmm. but you only see Chloe on everything right you know that she's had surgery which again is fine but if she wasn't selling flat tummy tea and waist trainers I was just honest and like yeah I had or going on or going on podcasts and telling people you can do it too well yeah I guess with the right amount of money yeah you know she had this whole thing where she was talking about you know I was down to the dumps and I was lazy and all this stuff and it was just kind of like girl first of all we all know you had surgery so let's let that go second of all like (laughs) are you truly that much happier with yourself? Because I remember, and I made a TikTok about this, your own grandmother couldn't post a picture of you on Instagram. Like yeah. you, you, you are, you're on the verge of, uh, you know, handling your own grandmother because she posted an unfiltered photograph of you. So how dare you have the audacity to tell me I need to get up and be better and do all this. And you yourself, whatever you've had done or whatever you're doing for yourself, it, it's not working. So I just, you know, it makes you weary about taking advice from people, but also it makes me think like, I'm not taking advice from you. No, you yourself are not happy with yourself. And that's to me, that's, that should be the ultimate goal. Correct. Are you happy with yourself? Are you that's- happy with where you are? Um, and you know, to violently react that much to an un, un- unaltered photograph, it shows yeah. me that you're not, despite whatever you're doing in the background, you're not happy with yourself. And, you know, you know, it's part of our personal journey, I guess. And, Good luck to her. <laughs> um, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it's just, it just, it, it just is so frustrating. I think for someone like me, who is a healthcare professional who tries so hard to detract the two of like what you look like from how you treat yourself, like however you look, whether you lose weight or not, should have nothing to do with like your value or your focus on your health and like the health at every size approach, which I've talked about on this podcast many different times, um, is so much more sustainable health wise, because you're actually focusing on health, improving behaviors and what those are is different for every single person. And so when you talk back to like eating cultural foods, um, I don't know any culture, like legit, like actual culture even like so I'm Greek and Italian so like yeah we have salads but it's like on the side of the dish like it's not a main meal like everything has like some sort of rice or pasta or you know protein or nuts or olive oil and so I don't really know where this like whiteness kind of came from and unfortunately you know you see people who fall for the fake message that it sends, like doing juice cleanses and eating avocado toast. And all of those things are very expensive and they're not accessible to everyone. And so you mentioned like availability of these food items. Yeah. Accessibility. Yeah. And, you know, many years ago I was working in a, in a doctor's office in um, Mineola. And so I saw very different clientele than I may normally have seen where I currently live and so like I had like women who came to me who didn't speak a lot of English they were Spanish speaking and I can get by (laughs) in a conversation Um, but they worked at Taco Bell and I helped them figure out how to balance out their plates 
while they were working 15 hour days and because they had no time to do anything else because they had to take the bus to and from work and so like our job as dietitians is to help make whatever the person's situation is work for them and so some of it may not look what we think it is like wait it's okay for me to have more than half a cup of rice wait if I have rice I could also have beans like that's like a big one that a lot of people are like surprised about and I'm like actually it's super healthy and so when you go and you travel the world and you see what like the cultures of the people who live you know who are indigenous to those areas like they're some of the healthiest people in the world And Mm -hmm. so this pursuant of just trying us pursuing, just trying to shrink our bodies really does not directly correlate to what our health could or could not be. You could be in a bigger size body and be healthy. Let me see your labs. Let's talk about your stress. Let's talk about your sleep schedule. Like all those things matter. And for some people having a sleep schedule isn't accessible. They have to work two jobs. And they don't have time to meal prep or I put quotation marks or, you know, whatever. So really just bringing to light. So when people on on Instagram or or TikTok are searching like healthy lifestyle and all that comes up or like thin white women who are like saying, here's my kale smoothie or, you know, whatever, like it's just not real. It's very, and most of these women have some level of disordered eating regardless. So that's a whole other story. Um, but you know, the whole aspect of how not inclusive it is, is something that I really want everyone to understand. Like it's super important for people to recognize that. And, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, well, that's why health is so white, especially as you look at like, when you look at like popular health, like social media driven health trends and, um, that's why it's literally it's there's no there's no taking into account accessibility or there's no taking into account uh sustainability you mm-hmm. know there's no taking into account and you know the thing is though I I I just think about this like most of us are living below like the average American makes under fifty thousand dollars a year um which I think like after taxes per month is like what I don't know twenty five thirty three thousand dollars a month maybe um sustainable rent is anywhere between 15 to 1800 dollars so you think every week that person has maybe 100 120 Mm dollars for food for the whole week and that's if they're lucky not to have a child and so you have to think like all of these like all these things you want people to buy like people need to be able to buy the things that they can afford that is accessible to them um and that makes the most sense and what i see so often with like a lot of dietitians, a lot of nutritionists is the things they recommend, um, they're not accessible. The things that they want you to eat or do, they're not accessible. Um, and you're right. Like they'll have, you know, they'll have what's, what makes sense to them, like kale and things like that. But if you work 10 to 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. buying, veg- buying vegetables like that, it's, it's really hard. So buy canned vegetables, yep. buy frozen vegetables, mm-hmm. get, you know, or you could be, I'm neurodivergent, I have ADHD. So I just let vegetables flow because I just forget. So I stopped buying them. I stopped buying fresh vegetables because it wasn't working for me. But you have people like who fear, I call them like fear, fear-mongering dietitians on TikTok and Instagram who are like, oh my God, only buy fresh. Stop buying these strawberries. There's worms in them. Like you have worms in you right now. Get the fuck over it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the this idea that like healthiness is as close as possible to being 
expensive. Like that's, that's what only by organic, only by, no, no, only by what works for you. And if you cannot create plans and content and help people from all walks of life, like I said earlier, you should go do something else because you're not here to help people. You're here to help Mm -hmm. people that look like you, that operate on your plane of existence, that are in your income bracket. Um, And that's not helpful. Um, And what it does is it also then makes health seem inaccessible Mm -hmm. because you have people who they see that kind of stuff. They see that mess and they think, okay, then what the fuck am I even trying for? I can't afford that. I can't live like, I can't meal prep. I hate meal prepping. It's just leftovers with a degree. I fucking hate meal prepping. Um, <laughs> it's stupid. <Same. laughs> you know, what if you live in a little tiny one bedroom apartment with a, a, a dorm size refrigerator? That's not possible. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that that it has the opposite effect. It's not, that's not inspiring. You know, that's just, that's, that's people saying, shit, I work 14 hours a day. I have two kids. I might as well not even try because you guys aren't even going, you guys aren't even trying to make things um, feasible to, di- yeah. to different kinds of people. Um, and there's a really good dietitian on TikTok. She is a woman of color. She's Latinx. And I wish I knew her name before I um, start talking about her, but she talks a lot about cultural food. Does she have short how- hair? She has, she has really short hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know cute. who you're talking about. And she about. always talks about, I mean, she always calls you amigas. Or yeah, 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 yeah comadres when she addresses people and um something that she does a lot that I love is she talks about how uh diet dieting has been colonized and she talks mm-hmm. about how she's reclaiming as Mexican as she's Mexican reclaiming her cultural food reclaiming her, her cultural awareness with her own food and mm-hmm. making it a feasible option for people and so if somebody wants to Taco Bell or if they eat a talk or they, they're not sure to Taco Bell and that's what they have access to Yep. then figuring out a way to make that work for them. Or if they just at this time cannot focus on that aspect of their health, okay, what can you help them do? Mm. Um, and just realizing that a lot of the health tips we see on social media are all driving towards one thing, being thinner. Yep. You're not asking people about their mental health, their emotional health. You're not asking people about their sugar intake. You're not asking people, you're asking people how can I help? How can I find ways to make your thinner, to make your body smaller? Oh. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's just taking all that shit with a grain of salt. It, it, it's very seldom ever helpful. Um, and like you said, like if these are just people who are operating with all, you know, within their own little sphere, their own little yeah. you know, world. And the problem with that though, of course, is because they end up becoming the ones that people focus on, right? Because yeah. the algorithm rewards whiteness and yep. thinness. That is just a, this bar none. The algorithm all algorithms reward three things, white, whiteness, youthfulness, and thinness. So if you have those three things, Charlie D'Amelio, you will mm-hmm. rise to the top. That's just, that's just, that's just the truth. Um, and those are the people who get pushed to people's explore pages and for you pages. Yeah. And then and people get discouraged. That's discouraging. It is. It's discouraging not to see people who look like you. It's discouraging not to be able to see a fat yoga teacher. It's discouraging not to be able to see a nutritionist who's a person of color, yeah. you know? So um, it ends up having the opposite effect. And it's hard to tell people that. Well, not hard. I tell people that all the time, but it's hard for them to die. <laughs> it's no hard for people to hear it. I they think don't hear it. I it's, personally attacked. It's the white fragility of it. They're making it about right. themselves, which it's not. Right. Instead of understanding that they're operating and upholding a system, mm-hmm. whether consciously or subconsciously, um, it's a system that you are a part of and you can help dismantle that system or you cannot. And a lot of them end up unfortunately choosing not. Yeah. I don't know if you watch any of the Real Housewives. 
No, I don't. So, some people who who listen may, and I think it's just interesting, just because of what the topic that we just talked about. And so there's this: the Real House of New, of New York had their first woman of color on the season for the first time in like 500 seasons, and she is like so amazing. I mean, I think she's an attorney. I don't know. I'm a, I loved her. I just watched it because of her. Like I stopped watching it, but during quarantine and COVID, I ran out of things to watch. Like I rewatched vampire diaries three times. So, you know, I had to find something, but anyways. And so she was talking about not necessarily in the sense of nutrition and health, but the, you know, just overall in, in life and in the systems of our country and everything explaining it to to the women and there was this one character who like couldn't hear it she would like walk away and she would be like no this is so messed up and I'm like it's not about you so when you have these conversations with women over social media and they get like so upset about it it's like you're missing the whole complete point and it it doesn't take away from you and like what you want to do as a person but you should be aware of like how it is impacting a lot of other people and everyone deserves to be heard and everyone deserves to feel like they belong. And so I think that this, this idea kind of transitions to um, one of your posts where you talked about like us as millennials growing up in a time where TV shows like girls only looked a certain way or like low rise jeans and Hollister and Abercrombie and things like that. Like, it was the early awful. 2000s it's awful it was it was a trauma oh. i mean it was <laughs> as someone who has always been in a larger size body like my body type did not fit what that what those stores had like i would i would openly walk into abercrombie and have the very thin girl at the door stare at me knowing very well none of those things would ever fit me and you know now Abercrombie like is having a comeback, I guess, and they're extending their sizes, but I'll never forget how I felt walking into that store feeling so terrible. Yep. And it wasn't because I necessarily felt terrible on my own. It was always because like other people told me there was something wrong with me. Like I right. was on a diet chronically since I was eight years old mm-hmm. and I just happened to be in a larger size body than my sister. I wasn't like quote unquote, morbidly obese or anything like that. I was just a bigger girl. Like my bone structure, my frame was just bigger and I'm taller than my sister. And so, you know, my family thought that they were doing the right thing, which is a whole other story. I have a whole podcast on that. I was diagnosed. I talk talk about that a lot. Yeah. And so like watching TV. So I, I didn't even realize how like messed up my interpretation of reality was because Mm -hmm watching TV, watching the OC, watching Laguna Beach, watching whatever those TV shows were, there was never anyone who ever was in a different sized body. And so not only that, like we can talk about how everyone was, of course, all white. And I can't imagine how being in a bigger sized body and not being white would have felt not seeing yourself in any Disney show or Disney movie, you know, like I think Disney had like three movies, like Xenon heard the best friend was I don't I think she was black it was Raven it was Raven Simone yeah exactly and Mm -hmm. so she was the only one that I would say and like she wasn't like she was like an average size body she was she was an average she was was maybe she couldn't have been maybe like a 
She could have been more than a size, adult size woman, eight or 10. Yep. But like they made it sound like, like we viewed it as her being bigger because of the fact that everyone else is just generally so thin and small. And of course we could talk about disordered eating and eating disorders and how it's all strewn throughout everything. But maybe if you could just give a little bit of insight, you know, to how it was for you. Yeah. So, um, I actually spent the early 2000s in the UK or in London, um, which totally different um, thing. So culturally, we have like all these girl groups and I know we had them here, but like it was a very big to do in the UK. Like we had Girls Aloud, we had Sugar Babes, um, we had Atomic Kitten. Like if you're not from the UK, like none of these people, <laughs> you're like who's all these people? Anyway, there were a bunch of extremely thin white women um who wore low-rise everything um who had terrible hair their hair was so terrible um looking back right now of course we all look terrible like that's like that, that's just bar none like the early 2000s we all look like fucking clowns um like I used to wear like like I don't know if you guys wore this on this side of the pond but like like our idea of going out was like mini skirts and like newsboy caps and shit like <laughs> I feel like you guys probably were cooler than whatever we were like early <laughs> Early 2000s, I was still like, I was 10, 11, 12. So I probably wasn't cool at all. But, you know, when you get into the Abercrombie where we would, well, I couldn't fit into it, but people would wear like mini, mini jean skirts with leggings. Same thing with leggings or leg warmers. Yep. Oh God, those awful fucking shawl things. Yeah. That we used to, I used for all the time they covered like my fat arms. So I had, I had like a fancy one. I had a plate. I had a crochet one or boho, like the boho look. Mm. Yeah. Like we definitely are victims of early 2000s fashion choices, but the culture at the time was um, thin. Yeah. Be as thin as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, the culture was you are not worthy if you are not a thin person um, and a, a thin white person yeah. or a thin person who's close to white, which is interesting because, of course, that was like to me like the pinnacle of tanning time. Like yeah. the tanning was out of control. Like I, and me as a, as a, as a you know, I had like, I had a, a handful of white friends and they tanned like, and I would be, and me and most of my friends were people, women of were girls of color like me. Yeah. And we, we we were so confused. We were like, why do you guys look like that? Like, it was just like, they would tan and then they would use self-tanner and they just all looked absolutely insane. Um, but like the, the idea was that, you know, if you're not thin, what are you doing? If you're not thin, where's your value? And that's not an early 2000s thing. That's a, because in the 90s, we had heroin chic. In the 80s, everyone jazzercised themselves into eating disorders. In the 70s, Atkins was invented. So these are not, none of these are like new concepts, mm-hmm. but I think the difference between the early 2000s was the um, introduction of social media. Mm-hmm. And I, I, write, I wrote an uh, article about this for Harper's Bazaar earlier this year. Whereas before, you got the message via TV, and not everyone had TVs, um, but around the early 2000s, everyone started having cable TV and internet access. And what internet access provided people was a way to anonymously berate people. Yeah. Um, people did not have that before. They could not go anywhere and put a bag over their head and call people fat. Like that's like always yeah. imagine that. Like that was a real place. And we just a bunch of people like hiding behind bushes, like calling you a fat, uh, like a fat hooker. Um, like, and that's the, that that's what it provided you. Like it provided people this veil of anonymity 
to be pieces of shit. So you had like, and I'm I'm only two years older than you, but I think I was like online more, um, more than I should have been. But like, there was like live journal. Mm. There was MySpace. There was um, Xanadu, which I think they, it was was called Zan. Zanga. 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 (laughs) We all had one. There was even that, that, remember that stupid penguin game? Like, what was it called? I don't even remember that. Oh my goodness. But they had like a chat function and people would bully people. <laughs> to me, I was like, well, just get off of it. But anyway, um, they, then the introduction of Tumblr, the introduction of Facebook. Right. And so, this, so what social media provided people was a way to anonymously and constantly. That's the other thing. TV was not constant. You right. cannot constantly call somebody and harass them. On the internet, it is a 24-7 cycle of harassment and belittlement. Um, and so that's what made the early 2000s so fucking terrible. Like, all of a sudden, people had more than one way to reach you and belittle you and harass you until you you were worthless. Um, and I think that was a big tipping point that made it different for even our parents or our older sisters. I have an older sister. Um, you all of a sudden, like, it was just like... It was wild. Like the internet today sucks, but I'm telling you, internet in the early 2000s, like it different. It was it was a wild, wild west. Like people were telling people to kill themselves, like ask FM, like people would just yeah. be like kill yourself. <laughs> it was That's really, crazy. really terrible. Like people yeah. would like post th- like intimate things about people. You know, people were changing schools, like. It was definitely not a good time uh, to develop to be developing mm-hmm. as a young woman, for sure. As a young person in general, um, I think that's what made the two thousands so hyper toxic. Was you were getting these messages for the first time ever from multiple angles, yeah. And I think that just made it so much worse. Um, and last thing I'll say about that is what you said earlier about the woman on the Real Houses of New York. Sometimes when you confront people about um, diet culture is a good example of that. If you tell somebody like, oh, I'm happy being fat. What it does is not only it, 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 it shows them you're happy, but also it, it throws them into a tailspin because they think like I've spent my whole life dieting. Why aren't you doing that? Hmm. I've spent my whole entire adult teenage formative years dieting. Hmm. This is the only way to be happy. Why are you not unhappy? Like I am. And I think that's a really tough pill to swallow for a lot of women, especially a lot of thin white women. I come across this all the time. I get get comments like this all the time. Like people who are generally like, I've been dieting my whole life. I am exhausted. I'm unhappy. Uh, And you're telling me that you are not going to do that. And that's blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you tell somebody like, well, you know, people don't have to be thin to be happy. I think I think it just throws people for a tailspin. It, it really makes people feel like, no, that's like, not true. What do you mean? I, I, I made a post a year. I don't even know when it was where I said losing weight will not make you happy. And it won't. Got so mad at me. And I was like, I know because I lost a lot of weight and I still hated myself. It was never right. going to be enough. And right. then I developed binge eating disorder and um, I, I also have PCOS, so I thought losing weight was going to fix it, but it actually ha- didn't do anything for my hormones right. and I still right. had to go to the doctor and, you know, whatever. So that's because we're told we are told that losing weight is we are told that changing your body in that way 
is the ultimate path to happiness. We're told it in movies, in show, the duff. We're told it in mm. so many places. Yeah. Um, and when you, because I lost, I, I lost 95 pounds and then I moved to Texas and gained it all back. Um, you know, tacos. Um, I'm sure the tacos were so good though. Yeah, so rich. But you know what? I'm from California and I am a, I just, we just, to me and Texas, I'm so sorry. We have better California. We have better tacos in California. Sorry. Sorry. I don't want to be that person, but um, you know, <laughs> people we're, we're told, like, we are told like losing weight will make you happy, but you lose that weight. First of all, two things, you lose that weight. You're not happy. Mm-hmm. It is not going to, it's not going to it's not gonna change your life. It's not going to, nope. people will interact with you differently. Yeah. People will treat you slightly better on the surface level, Correct. but internally, you're not going to all of a sudden have the confidence of uh, what I like to call mediocre white man. Um, Cause nobody has more audacity than like yeah. a middle of the road, do nothing white man. Like they, you know, so my mom always told me when I was a kid, like have the audacity of a mediocre white man. Cause they'll, they'll go in there and they'll demand everything, you know? So yeah. I would say losing, losing weight is not going to give you that confidence. It's mm-hmm. not going to turn you into, you know, Richard Madison or whatever white guy name. Um, but also what happens is, 95 percent of people gain all the weight back and so now you're stuck yep you're gaining weight again and you're wondering why why didn't i get it right this time and mm-hmm. so it, it sends you in this i'm so sorry it sends okay. you in this tailspin <laughs> I, I, I don't know who's trying to contact me it sends you in this tailspin and i think yeah. it just makes it worse and worse and worse and on top of that research shows us that yep. Um, gaining and losing weight takes years off your life. So you're in this vicious cycle and it's actually hurting you in the long run. So I think that weight loss, um, there's a lot that goes in that mentally and emotionally that we just don't talk about. Um, and we only focus on the physical aspect of it right. and how we make our body smaller instead of focusing on how we are actually mentally and physically and how our relationship is with food which is yeah. um, much bigger, a much more broader and more important topic. Correct. And so something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize is that our bodies have different type of fat cells, type one and type two. We're not going to have a science conversation. I don't want to bore everyone, but essentially like your fat cells never disappear. So like, let's say you lose weight, your fat cells essentially like just shrink. And so like the adipose inside of the fat cell is used up for energy which is actually not your body's preferred fuel source. So that's a whole other thing. It's very taxing on the body. Um, Your body prefers to actually catabolize its own muscle before it uses fat. So that's a whole other thing. So, um, but the fat cells never disappear. And so your body constantly is pushing you towards gaining back that weight because it is in survival mode. And it thinks like, Hey, like I need this back. And like, you're, you know, our bodies and our genes haven't evolved to a place where it's like, okay, this person has enough adipose storage. We don't need to store anymore right now. It's okay. Um, and that's not even talking about the hormonal changes that happen and how you end up, Um, Your body gets accustomed to eating at a lower calorie range. Um, Your body. Or we're not talking about how your body, you fuck your body up doing that. Like there's some real, oh God, there's such good research around the biggest loser. I hate Jillian Michaels. Oh my God. Um, Around how, yeah, she's on TikTok. She's on my, oh, Um, is she really? (laughs) She is. Yeah, she is. She is. And the comments are not not good Um, for, for her. They won't, you know, she's, she's, she's actually, she's awful, but they did this, this study about all the biggest loser contestants 
terrible how their basal metabolic rate is completely fucked because you cannot your body is not meant to yeah. operate at that caloric deficit for any right. amount of time for any amount of time and so we don't talk about the long-term effects of yo-yo dieting and how your body eventually is like girl no i'm i you're you're messy you're messing you're tearing your body up in order to fit into a smaller body which i never and one thing i was like to put out there i'm never gonna blame a, bar, a marginalized person for trying to become unmarginalized. Right. I'm never going to blame anybody because you know, because life is easier on the other side. I don't care what anybody says. It is easier on the other side. Um, so if you're a fat person trying to fit into a thinner body, I understand why. I'm never going to begrudge you that because you're just trying to survive. Yeah. Um, and trying to be treated like a decent human being, which fat people are often robbed yeah. that experience. Correct. Um, so however, you are doing irreparable damage sometimes to your body and to your body's systems. And when we talk about people who have um, anorexia nervosa or who are bulimic, and we talk about their long-term yep. issues they have, we don't associate those with dieting. And it's the same thing. You're depriving your body of nutrition yeah. the same way they are. Um, and your body does not, your body's not like, oh, wait a minute, this is not anorexia. Never mind. Your body's like, no, I'm not getting nutrition. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of that goes into a, a lot of, people um are messing their bodies up and it's it's unfortunate and but like i said before it's just a byproduct of diet culture and trying to fit into this very narrow view narrow standard of what's beautiful and what's not even beautiful what's acceptable Acceptable, correct because beauty is has beauty right it's objective you want to be accepted yeah so you know it's unfortunate it is and you know what's something that is always so mind-boggling to me like i haven't travels in a really long time and I haven't been to Greece in a really long time but when you go and you go to the museums and you see like all of the like sculptures of women and the paintings of women like they all have like a little bit of like a lower belly and they're I mean Greek women in general are a little bit more curvier and I'm like when did that why like that's what my body like naturally looks like so when did it become bad for that to be true? And I'm not sure. I mean, you, I'm sure we could trace it back to a specific point in time or whatever, but even now, um, you know, it was something that I had to come to terms with, with like, that was, it's okay that I'm not a small person. Like I'm never going to be like, I've tried and I, it just literally doesn't work. And my body just isn't meant to be small and, and it's okay. Um, and it kind of goes into the concept of like internalized fat phobia, which you talk a lot about. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that they themselves are victim of it and also, of course, perpetuate it. Um, so I'd love to I love for you to share with everyone a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah. So internalized fat phobia, much like internalized racism, internalized misogyny is when you are a part of that particular marginalized um people, marginalized group, but you have inherited and believe in the um, beliefs and doctrines of your oppressors. Um, these way to explain it. But the, the, one of the ways I always see this manifested, I call them smaller fats versus larger fats. Um, and so we see a lot of times that smaller fats do not always make room for larger fats um, in this community. Um, and I get into the body positive community a bit in a bit, but we so often see like 
larger fats who are who are sharing very real issues they have, like not being able to fit into planes or not being able to access certain things. And we don't, and the smaller fats, either they're apathetic towards it, which in and itself is violence. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Apathy is violence when it comes to these matters. Or they're actively like, well, oh my God, I, you know, lose weight or what's the problem? Like, first of all, you are two or three bad weeks away <laughs> from that. So let's, let's pull our jets. Yeah. Um, and secondly, you are also fat. So this idea that like, you're a little less fat, um, yeah. it, it's, it's preposterous. And internalized fat phobia, we see that um, it goes hand in hand with diet culture because the whole crux of diet culture is, I want to be in a smaller body. That's the crux of diet culture. If we did not have that belief, diet culture would not exist. So we have people who will say things like, um, well, back in the day, it was, let's be thin. But now I find that people like to use coded words like, I want to be fit. I want to be healthy when they just mean I want to be thin. Um, and we have people who say things like, well, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I have to eat this way because, you know, it's healthy. And you're like, well, you can eat different kind of ways. Why well, don't want to gain weight? Well, why don't you want to gain weight? I don't want to be fat. Well, if your body, you're doing all this to be thin, this might not be your body's natural weight. Well, I don't want to be any bigger than this. That's a internalized fat phobia. Yeah. Um, and how we interact with fat people, how we interact with our children, how we, you know, the messages we send our children. I, there's so many people in my comments who are like, you know, even if their mother was fat when they were growing up, mm-hmm. and I always say mothers because our mothers have, especially for women, we have this connection with in terms of how we view our bodies. Um, our fathers are belong to the patriarchy and they all hate fat people anyway, even themselves. Um, but they'll say, you know, yeah. my mother, even if she was fat, I grew up hearing her say, I need to lose weight. Mm-hmm. I hate my body. I'm so happy so-and-so lost weight. So that's internalized fat phobia, kind of the messages you send. And then they take those messages with them into adulthood. Um, and you find that so many people, you know, my, the best example of internalized fat phobia, I call them former fat people. Mm. <laughs> people who have lost weight. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I want you to lose weight too. I lost weight. How come you can't? Mm. You know, and they, they end up being the most insufferable. Khloe Kardashian, they end up being the most insufferable people on earth. Yeah. A, because they're awful, but B, because sometimes I sit back and think to myself, give it five years. Yep. Research shows you're going to gain that weight back. So give it five years. But also, you know, you, you did it. That was you. That's your journey. That's, that's, that's what you're on. But this idea that, okay, now everyone else has to do it too. That's internalized fat phobia. Yeah. So a lot of that, it manifests itself in so many different ways. Um, and especially when you look at like fat people, the way they interact with other fat people, or I always find that like fat people have like, a, I don't want to get more than this weight or this size. I don't want to be more than 300 pounds. I don't want to be more than this. Yeah. Um, and that is my own example. That's an example I have. And I have for this belief for years. I don't want to be above a size 20. Mm. Like that's my, that's my number. I would say that for years. As long as I don't get above a size 20, I'm happy. As long as I don't get above a size this unhappy mm. and I had to wake up I had to realize one day that girl that's internalized fat phobia yeah you see you know, I only wanted to be a certain up uh, back to a certain level you know what I mean and so that that was my own internalized, internalized fat phobia talking yeah so um, it manifests itself in so many different ways and the way we talk about ourselves and the way we talk to other people and the way we just conduct our inner our interactions with people um or people who's you know 
eat a certain way, not because they like it, um, but because they're afraid to gain weight. And I, one final thing I notice is internalized fat phobia around pregnancy. Mm. I get a lot of comments from people who are like, I'm pregnant. I'm terrified of gaining weight. You're, you're pregnant. You're making a person. You got to gain weight. So the people are terrified of it. They're terrified of pregnancy weight. They're terrified of gaining weight while they're literally cooking a person in their body. And that is, that is heavy diet culture and heavy internalized phobia. Yeah. I mean, and it's crazy. And, and those individuals, especially definitely suffer with disordered eating and, or an eating disorder may not recognize it. Um, and, and I, and I understand the underlying fear of it because we've been taught to fear it. Like, you know, we talk about the quarantine 15, like if I, if I could ever like cancel a term, it would be that because it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Um, but you know, especially during pregnancy, like you're literally growing a human while keeping yourself alive while doing whatever it is else that, that you're doing. So right. if you're going to work right. or, you know, taking care of like your family or whatever. So it's just so crazy to me. And it's something that I want people to understand. And I've spoken about this before. I'm not against someone losing weight. I'm just yeah. against the like intentional restriction and dieting that people are doing to lose weight. If you right. are like, taking care of yourself and finding joyful movement and eating food that makes you feel good and trying to, you know, work through whatever the obstacles that you have in terms of like with food, like if you're binging or overeating or, you know, things like that, mental health plays such a huge, big role. And you happen to like work through all of that. And then you happen to lose weight. Like that's fine. Like that's what your body wanted to do, but our bodies are not always meant to stay the same way. Like we're constantly evolving and changing and, um, it, you know, we're not your body changes. You brought the quarantine. And I don't know if you noticed all the videos on social media about people like I've been quarantine weight and they're, you know, and it's kind of like your body just carries you through two years of seriously apocalyptic bullshit. Like your body is surviving our body. You know, our bodies don't know, like, what's going on but our bodies recognize cortisol stress uh, and our body is like oh god you're stressing long term for we're not we're not supposed to operate in long-term stress which yeah. is why um underprivileged people people of color die sooner because we are put in situations where we are stressed out our entire fucking lives <laughs> yep. but we are what you're what your body is saying is fuck you have been an elevated stress level for months now i think there's a problem I'm storing weight for nuclear winter. Like your body doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Yep. So all it knows is you are operating in like this stressful situation and it's trying to help you. And it pisses me off that the way you return that favor is being like, you're fat now, I hate you. Like girl, your body is the only machine on this earth that operates nonstop for 60, 70, 80 years. There's no way in hell you can tell me that putting some weight on that is 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 the issue. So you know in those yeah. videos they really, really kind of piss me off actually because it's it's kind of like you're so you gain some weight uh, you know you're we're in the middle of goddamn The Walking Dead like are you kidding me right now like who yeah. can, <laughs> you live your life you know what I mean we're we're going through a lot and if that means your body changes your body changes we also got older it's two years you get older you gain weight that's what happens. 
So yeah, yeah. there's a lot that goes into that quarantine 15 bullshit. Oh yeah, that was definitely one of the one, one things when I started seeing a lot of things popping up like get off that quarantine 15 and this and that and I'm like I I made an IGTV about it because I was so pissed off about it I was like I can't believe that this is even happening right now I mean it's not surprising um that happened to coincide with Jillian Michaels reading the 10 intuitive eating tips like the 10 intuitive eating principles and having a heart attack at each one of them including giving yourself unconditional permission to eat she literally almost had a heart attack not really like god forbid I'm not wishing anything bad on her except that maybe she lost all of her millions of followers that would be I feel like a fitting um (sighs) repercussion but um you know it's just there's so many different layers of what goes into diet culture and it does not impact everyone in the same way. Right. And how interesting that Jillian Michaels, who has no training, no health background would turn her nose up at two like PhD level healthcare professionals who created this program Two like they've been studying this program. I mean, you know, I'm I'm rereading it to eating because like you, I'm under, I'm um, recovering from binge eating disorder. Um, so I'm rereading it right now. Mm. And um, it's crazy to think like all the, the amount of research that's been done on intuitive eating that shows it works. So for you to turn your nose up at something that is clinically proven to work that is created by two yep. healthcare professionals when the closest you've gotten to a school is Girl, I don't know. I don't shit about Julian Michaels. Maybe high but, school. Maybe <laughs> high school. But no, no education, no background, no training, no research, just fat phobia and vibes. She's the worst. She really She's is the, the worst. worst. She's the worst. She and really and just saying, like in terms of like stress, like you're talking about cortisol, I've seen a spike in like new clients coming to me with diagnosis of with being diagnosed with pre-diabetes whereas before they never even had and they're like I don't understand like I'm not doing anything different and I'm like the stress the stress alone raises your blood sugar levels and so if you're experiencing insulin resistance there 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 you go you could you could have done nothing differently um you know and so people need to understand that all of these come into play in terms of like when we talk about what health actually means and health is not one size fits all approach. And so, you know, it's just something that people in this field, I hope continue to work towards. And I'm happy to say I'm seeing like a positive yeah, movement towards like better topics and people being just better with this overall. Um, but it's definitely not enough. And it's definitely, unfortunately, being uh, spearheaded by people who it shouldn't be spearheaded. Right, right. and that plays into something I talk about a lot, which is body positivity and how Mm -hmm. it has just been hijacked by thin white women. Um, It talks about how you know this idea that like, listen, everyone has issues with their body. We all do. We all do. Everybody, I'm sure Kate Moss did. I'm sure Cindy Crawford did. We all do. However, body positivity was created by queer people of color as a counterculture, a counter movement to the thin mania of the 60s and 70s because they wanted to be treated like human beings. That's the crux. They wanted to be treated like people. So they wanted to feel good about their bodies and let people know that, hey, I am too a human being. I am too somebody who deserves respect 
Instead of what body positivity now is like, hey, look, I've contorted my body and here's a little roll. <laughs> so you should all follow me because I'm very body positive. Um, and you hear things like skinny shaming and I- No. I mean, you know, I had to have many, many a conversation with people to explain to them that skinny shaming and systemic fat phobia are like, it's, it's, it's like taking a, um, taking a gun to a child's water balloon fight. They're not the same fucking thing. They do not impact you in the same way. Mm -hmm. They're not on the same scale. They're in two different spheres of existence. And what happens, of course, is that people get offended. They get offended. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be an audipositivity movement. No, yeah. no, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I've been accused of being a gatekeeper. I don't, I don't care about that at all. I've been accused of, I'm not about body positivity, body positive, okay. Um, you, whatever you want to say to me about the situation is that when you started making money off body positivity, I always yeah. pinpoint I always call it like the dove. I call it the dove turning moment, but I don't know if you remember, right? I thought it was like, two, what was this, 2008 maybe, 2007, Dove had their first like real woman campaign. Mm. They used to have those, remember they used to have the woman in the white backgrounds? And that to me was the moment people were like, wait a minute, body positivity makes money? Yep. And from then on out, it was just white, 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 white. And yeah. so here, here's where we are now. We have people who are spearheading this movement who, A, have no idea what it is, mm-hmm. um, but they see an opportunity to make money. Um, so they're taking it. And you have companies that are validating this behavior by giving them money. And you know what? Even if you, even if you looked at black and brown creators and gave them the same um, financial opportunities, I'll check the fuck up. I would say, oh, okay, but, you, but they don't. No. They, don't, they don't they don't get fat creators those opportunities they don't get disabled creators those opportunities they don't give black brown creators the same opportunities and so i'm going to keep talking about it because i don't i don't need to see britney 21 year old britney so-and-so pinch her almost completely flat stomach and talk about her fupa what the fuck are you talking about girl what are we talking about right now um and so that that's that that's 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 my discussion point like i i it, it's a whole bunch of people have no idea what they're fucking talking about looking to cash in on something and that is again white supremacy. Yeah, it all ro- it goes all back to the same concept, and I think it's really important for people who care about fighting against diet culture that they need to understand this stuff and educate themselves and understand that, like, if you didn't know anything about it now, at least now you have some sort of understanding about the realities of this world in this situation. And if you really truly want to dismantle diet culture, there's really no other way than acknowledging all of these different things. So and starting with yourself, starting, a lot of people are op- subconsciously still operating on diet under the guise of diet culture and they don't realize it. Huh. Like, you know, I said, sometimes people are like, well, I'm not even on a diet. And I think to myself, do you have any food rules though? Like people yeah. give you things like, I don't eat white rice. Why? White because, rice is because, so much better than brown. It because so what? Because what? I don't yeah. eat bread. Why don't you eat bread? You know, so I find people who even aren't even actively on a diet. They are. They have all these like inane like food rules that they themselves cannot fucking explain why they're doing it. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is um, realizing that people come in different bodies. That to me is like the, the not the crux, but it, it's such an important point to make that 
people come in different bodies. We're all not going to be Mm-mm. a size six. I, that's not physically possible for me to be a size six. At my smallest, I am a size 12. And that is that, that, that is starving myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my absolute smallest. Yeah. So I am not meant to be a size six. Mm-hmm. That is not how my, that's not how my body was made or created. And I always tell people, and I this is something that I started like asking people like a couple years ago. If people could be naturally thin, how come I can't be naturally fat? Like, this is just how my body is. This is just this is this is where my body is. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that if more people were willing to admit that, like I don't understand that people are different or come in different bodies, I think we'd be in a much better place because then at least yeah. you could admit it and you could start unpacking why you feel that way. But people come in different bodies, and um, so many times, so often so much health advice is meant to try to fit you all into one kind of body and that's not helpful so it's actually much more harmful than helpful it's very harmful so I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on me this was such an amazing conversation and I really hope that everyone who listens uh, has learned something new or if you haven't learned something new something just you know a little bit more in depth and please give Jess a follow. I'll put all of her info down below and, um, yeah, that's it really. I I'll see you guys next week and thank you again, Jess. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay. Bye guys.